You are listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud, conversations about trauma and healing from two women who are doing the work. Hey everyone, it's Candace and Cher with Processing Trauma Out Loud. Cher, we're back for another episode today, and it's always so good to be with you in this space. I just want to say I have so much fun processing the topic before we press record. Last week, we did an episode on what it means to honor your losses and your relationship with grief. And we closed that episode out talking about the importance of being able to ask for help. So today we are going to tackle the topic of what is it like for you to ask for help? Why is that important? And we're going to talk through a few things of why that can be hard to do. You know, you would think something so simple, I need help, would be simple. But for many of us, it's actually not simple at all. Yeah, it's something that is a basic human need, asking for help. We're not created to be independent or live in isolation. We need other people and we know that and we would all say that. And yet sometimes when we have areas where we are really struggling, reaching out and asking for help is really very difficult. We can come up with a million reasons why we're not going to do that. Anything from the financial burden to the inconvenience or whatever it may be. But yeah, asking for help is really hard. And in this space where we're talking about processing trauma, we have come to recognize that asking for help is so important. So why is it important? I think I want to start off by just saying like, we do not have all of the resources that we need. When we identify areas where we would like to change, areas where we know we're struggling or areas where we even know we're stuck, we don't have the resources to bring the change that we really desire. And so we have to reach out and ask for help. Yeah. Let's take this back a little bit and connect it to developmental childhood trauma, since that's kind of what we talk about every week. Yeah. <laughs> but in a normal or healthy development, a good enough development, first of all, a baby is 100% dependent. Now they do have ways of letting their caregiver know that they need help or they have a need. But as the child grows older, the environment that's created will either help that child feel safe to ask for help, learn the words to ask for help. I'm watching my daughter do this with my two and a half grandson. There are things that, you know, she'll let him really try because we also want to empower our kids for the things that they can do. But when he truly needs help, he will just ask and she is there to help him. This is how there's safety created for a child and knowing that it's good and right to ask for help sometimes. But when that doesn't happen, when a child has a resource that they need to help them feel safe, to help them feel soothed and secure and seen, and they don't get it, this is where messages are being formed in that little body, that little heart, in that little mind. Oh, there's something about asking for help that doesn't feel good. Right. And often we know the impact of reaching out for help and not getting, not being seen, not being soothed, not 
being brought into a place where we know that we are safe and secure. The truth is, you know, the more that we learn about the brain and the way that our neuropathways are developed and established and set and how we will keep replaying them over and over and over and, and also what our body knows to be true. The more that we learn and know about that, the more we can know and be assured that the things that we did not get in our developmental years, we are still desperately needing. So for example, just attunement, having somebody turn their eyes toward us and turn their face toward us in our places, in our spaces of need, and that somebody, and, and having the sense that somebody wants to see us there and find us there and move toward us, that somebody actually would want to engage us there and say, I see you struggling with that. I mean, is there anything that I can do to help because I would really love to help? Or if we are really dysregulated, that somebody would say, wow, I see that you are really dysregulated. Could I move toward you? Like it's hard for us to believe that people actually would want to do that. But the truth is, if we didn't get it in childhood, we still desperately need it. I'm, I'm sitting in something that you said that I just felt so deeply when you said, and that somebody wants to. We can beg and plead and ask for help and the the person can respond in a way that like the message is we're a burden when we ask for help. Just you naming like what would it, you know, what would it have been like for that child to see delight yeah. when they realized they had a need and could ask for help. And it was met with, I love to help you when you need help. Yeah. And it, and it's interesting to, to say that, like, I love the word delight and I'm becoming more accustomed to using it more often that, that, and I loved how you used it in that context of that. There are others who actually delight in helping us when they see us in a place where we have need. And then it's like, it's on us. Can we receive it? or? Do we go into some of the other areas of what happens when it's when it's really hard to to ask for help or when it's really hard to receive help? So yeah, I think we're just kind of laying a little very brief foundation of why it's important to ask for help. And I want to just say again, it's important to ask for help because we need help. Like we cannot heal in isolation. We will not change in isolation. We cannot change the neural pathways. We cannot change the, the imprint in our body responses if we do not have help. Once we get that help initially, okay, so, so I, I shared this story with you the other day that this lady was saying, as an adult, it can be extremely hard to ask for help over something that you feel like you should just be able to do yourself. So think about when we fly, they say, put your oxygen mask on first before you help someone else. Well, as an adult, we think, well, we should be able to put our oxygen mask on first. But if that was never done for you, yeah. allowing, asking for help, but this is so important yeah. to take the step to ask for help and allowing somebody else to put that oxygen mask on on for you will empower you to be able to help yourselves in ways that you couldn't before. Yeah. And it comes back to just like, we don't have the resources 
to do it all on our own. And when it comes to this area of healing or childhood trauma, we don't have the resources within our own selves. We need help from people who are trauma informed and trauma trained so that they can put, even as adults, they can put that oxygen mask on us so that we can say, okay, I can breathe now. Talk to me, help me, help me understand so that I can change and grow. We learned this in a very gentle way through engaging in story work, because in the process of somebody else hearing our stories, being trained on what to look for in stories, themes and patterns and the particularities, you know, I've been saying in the cracks and crevices where we have a hard time seeing ourselves, but they are able to move into those places and can invite us into seeing ways that we need help that we didn't even know we needed help. But but not in a shaming way, not in an accusation way, not in a condemning way. And if someone can start to feel safe in that space, as opposed to, oh my gosh, I'm 50 years old, I shouldn't need help here. Well, if you've never received help in this particular area where you've had harm and wounding and trauma, Mm -hmm. of course, you still need help. And to say, I want to say, and to see someone move towards you, and I'm going to use the word again with delight, Mm -hmm. because when you engage this work and you experiencing that delight, you begin to delight in helping others, you know, Mm -hmm. see their places of harm and how they need help just so true, I think. And when we ask for help, and it's accompanied by a, a sense of vulnerability, like I'm, I'm reaching out, I'm asking for help. I don't know if you'll be able to help me. I don't know if I can trust you. Am I going to be hurt more deeply? Right. And then when we are met with kindness and gentleness, and, and even delight, as you said, where we begin to experience that when we actually ask for help, the other person's face in a sense lights up. They turn toward us and they say, what do you need? Because I'm here. I will help you or I will help you find the resources. I think one thing that's sticking out to me when when you're talking about somebody helping us find the resources, one of the greatest areas of growth for me not that some of my resources still aren't reading a good book or you know, listening to a podcast, I have found that when I'm being helped to move towards my own inner resources, my parts, who I am in my essence and the core of my God created image and drawing upon what's actually in me, but I haven't had access to. Wow, what a game changer. It doesn't mean that I still don't need help at times, but the more access that I have gained towards connecting to that part of me, the more I want to say resilient and empowered I am, not to be independent, but to to be interdependent with a level of safety. It's so true, Candace. And I think too, along with that, I'm really thinking about how hard or I will use the word impossible it is for us to name the degree of harm that we experience that needs to be tended to. Like, again, we're talking here about why is it important to ask for help? We cannot see clearly our own story. 
We can't. We're we're in our own story. And so we cannot see it. But when someone else can come along and and name some of the things that we're experiencing that we or that we experienced, that we always found a way to minimize or dismiss or excuse because that was our our means of, of survival. So that when someone comes in and uses words like assault or violence or triangulation or parentification, right? Some of these things that they're huge issues, but we didn't know it. We don't know it. We cannot see it until someone else comes alongside and names those and helps us discover where those themes show up in our own story. We can't do it on our own. It That's so true because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of when my story work coach, I want to say renamed my teenage girl. Yeah. So I had a lot of self-accusation, self-hatred, really self-disgust over her. And you know this, and I, I think I have mentioned it, but I'm going to mention it again. I've been writing a memoir of my life between the ages of 13 to 19, my, my teenage years. And I was, I think, 49, 50, I was right around 50 when I had that call with my story work coach that I had called my teenage girl, I like very promiscuous. I wanted to say slut. I don't think I did, but I thought I, I know I was thinking it. And, you know, she moved in close and said, Oh, do you mean that fearful girl? Now, mm, some people may have a hard time with that. Like if, if you if you're naming yourself that way, if you turn to, you know, sex as a means of, of coping behavior and to find comfort and soothing and not to be alone, we are understanding more and more about the brain and neuropathways and patterns and why we choose the familiar, even if we realize it's hurting us or hurting others. But when she renamed me on that day, I will say, this is a bold statement. It was probably that one big lie about what I believed in myself that began to change everything for me. Yeah. It's actually why I'm able to write a memoir about it today because I freaking love my teenage girl now. Yeah. I feel sad about the ways that she was trying to cope and survive and what that even went into her adult life. But oh my gosh, you share the pearls. My friend, Wendy, people who I've allowed really close to me to see her have helped me to love her. It is. It's beautiful. And I do love her. And it's interesting when we are able to come away from, especially maybe some of the messages that came through our society or through the church, particularly of judgment and condemnation and accusation toward that teenage girl part of you, that becomes so ingrained. And so here you were asking for help from somebody who's trauma informed. And the message that came to you was, oh, do you mean that part of you that was really fearful and who found a way to survive an impossible situation? Like the reframing of that changed your whole trajectory. Yes, it, it did. And it started with asking for help. And not even knowing the kind of help that I needed. I didn't know that I needed to be renamed in a more truer sense of who I really was. I just want to say this is why it's important. Because if we're not telling the true story about ourselves, we're going to stay stuck in the old story. 
which oftentimes is still our coping behaviors. And we will stay stuck because that is the neural pathway. Like we cannot not be stuck there. You think I really want to make a big point of that. Like we take a lot of shame and guilt, I think, uh, uh, um, for why we cannot make the changes that are obvious. That why can't we make the changes so that we can live the good life that somebody else is living, the right life that somebody else is Why we cannot easily make the changes of 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 stuck areas that we wish that we could change. Yeah. But the truth is we cannot make the changes to the neural pathways that have been established in our brain without experiencing something that causes an intersecting of that neural pathway. The literal and I don't understand all of this, but the, the protons and neurons and electrons in our brains line up in a certain way every time we experience a certain stimuli. Like that's the way we're made. That's the way we're created. Until something intersects that and allows my brain to have different neurons and protons and electrons that line up and connect in different ways, our brain will always connect the same way. Asking for help provides the opportunity for something or someone to come and intersect that old neural pathway so that our brain has the opportunity to say, oh, here's a new way. And then new connections are made. And then we can begin to nurture that and strengthen that new neural pathway, which you have done so brilliantly, Candice. And As over time, as you do that, the old neural pathway begins to, it's still there, but it's not the go-to response. And that is what brings the change. And we need so often, almost always, I guess I feel like I could say like (laughs) 99.999, we need someone else to help bring that intersection in our path. I was talking to a lady the other day and she said she's reading a book called All Together You about IFS parts work. And she said, I'm really struggling because I've just always believed that if you're doing something that's wrong or you shouldn't be doing it, I have this voice inside that says, just stop it. Just stop. You know better. And so I was just listening and, and, you know, we kind of talked through that. And I said, I'm, I'm curious, is there anything in your life that you want to change? And she was like, well, yeah, this is, I said, well, why don't you just stop it? (laughs) You know? So, so it's this idea that we kind of compartmentalize. I want you to just stop doing this thing, that thought. And, and failing to see, oh, but that doesn't work for us either. Yeah. So we can, we can actually stop a behavior temporarily on coercion, shame, fear. We can stop. But the neuropathway won't change or develop a new one until there's healing. And what healing is for a neuropathway is love, safety, compassion kindness, truth, all in the context where the person can slow down and say, oh, here's what's happening in my body right now. Oh, this is coming from this. Oh, like, 
I'm being faced with like this conscious choice now. Do I want to turn left or do I want to turn right? So good, Candice. And I'm loving this conversation on why it's so important to ask for help. And I, I know that there's so much more that I wish we could say and that we will stay. So we will say <laughs> in part the episodes two. to come. Well, part two, I want to really, I want us to turn our focus a little bit to why is asking for help so hard? And there are a lot of reasons why asking for help is hard. And so I, I want us to really go there and explore that in some ways that maybe people haven't really thought about before. And so I'm looking forward to that. But this has been a beautiful conversation, Candice. Thank you. You're very welcome. It was good to be with you today. And as always, I love you so much, my friend. I love you too. Thank you for listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to suggested resources and social media. Like, subscribe, and follow to keep up with our weekly content. And if you don't mind, take a moment to rate and review us. Your feedback is extremely valuable and contributes to the success of this podcast. One last thing. If you have found this podcast helpful in any way, or if you have questions on how to take the next steps on your healing journey, please reach out to us via email at CandiceShare at gmail.com. That's K-A-N-D-A-C-E-S-H-E-R at gmail.com. Our sound engineer is Jeremiah Jones of Auditory LLC. We welcome you to join us for more conversations soon. Take care.